This morning, we are resuming our study of the book of Proverbs. We paused our study for a little bit as we were looking at a variety of things during the Christmas season and then last year at the start of the year. But now today, we're resuming our study of the book of Proverbs. And this week, we're looking at the last section of Proverbs chapter 19. And what we're going to see, there's, there's a variety of things here to see, but one of the main things we'll see as we look at this portion of Proverbs together today is the fact that we can rest in the purpose of God. Now, I'll say this even before we read this together. This section of Proverbs that we're in covers a variety of topics. There's all sorts of topics that are highly applicable to our day-to-day lives that are referenced in this section of Proverbs. And when you look at it line by line by line, you see godly counsel, wisdom, advice, admonishment, all of that. And, uh, it, but in this section, we're going to just focus on this, this part here from Proverbs chapter 19 today, looking at verse 20 down to verse 29, as we talk about the fact that we can rest in the purpose of God. So if you have your Bibles handy, you could turn there with me. I'm going to pick up at verse 20, and this is what it says. It says, "'Listen to advice and accept instruction, that you may gain wisdom in the future. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. What is desired in a man is steadfast love.'" And a poor man is better than a liar. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. Strike a scoffer, and the simple will learn prudence. Reprove a man of understanding, and he will gain knowledge. He who does violence to his father and chases away his mother is a son who brings shame and reproach. Cease to hear instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. A worthless witness mocks at justice, and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. Condemnation is ready for scoffers and beating for the backs of fools. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to look at your word together today. And we pray that as we do so, that you'd help us to to remember the fact that we can find rest in you. We can find rest in your purposes as you accomplish your work throughout this world. And Lord, thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives. And we pray that you'd speak to our minds and speak to our hearts today as we seek to be obedient to your leading. And thank you, Lord, for the privilege to just be able to carve out this time to worship you together today. We know, Lord, that that we could be using this time for all sorts of things, but you've placed upon our hearts the desire to be gathered together here to worship you. And we're so grateful that we have the privilege to do so today. So speak to us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever noticed that sometimes a week has a theme in your life where it just seems like something tends to be on like a, a repeated pattern. I actually, I actually noticed over the, the past week that the week seemed to have a theme, and this is what happened over the course of this past week. I received more calls and more emails and more requests for meetings than I usually do over a typical week. So I could, you know, I've been doing what I do long enough that I kind of have my week's thought through of what I expect and what I don't expect. And I noticed that over the course of this week, more calls, more emails, more texts, more meetings. And this is what the calls and emails and texts and meetings focused on. Whole series of topics, but there is a theme. Spiritual needs, one of the main topics. Then we 
talked about family needs. We talked about cultural concerns. We talked about personal sorrow. And this was the theme throughout this week. So obviously, you know, if you were feeling like you're alone in wrestling with any of those things, let me assure you that you're not, and that many of your brothers and sisters in Christ wrestle with those things as well. And I think every one of us can identify with every one of those concerns. And I think when I look over the course of my life, I can think of distinct seasons in my life when some of those topics in particular were very prominent in my thinking, and some of those distinct seasons were very recently. So these are things that feel very fresh for me and probably feel very fresh for you. And when we're wrestling with heavy concerns, whatever category it's in, if it's in one of those categories that I just mentioned or if it's in a different but similar category, when we're wrestling with heavy concerns, there's two distinct ways that we can deal with those concerns. We can either attempt to approach them in our own power and our, and our own wisdom, or we can trust the Lord to intervene on our behalf accomplish His will, and give us the wisdom to know what to do on our end. And the latter is the preferable pattern. It also helps me when I'm going through seasons that tend to weigh my heart down to try and think many years beyond the particular moment in time that I happen to be in, to be thinking toward the future when Scripture tells us that the Lord is going to restore all things. Some of the times when when I'm dealing with heavy concern, I find that very helpful to think, all right, this is but a moment. The Lord has promised good things that are yet to come. And when you look at what Scripture tells us, and we'll see this in the Scripture that we just read together today as we kind of pick it apart here, the Lord has a purpose and a plan for everything that we're going through at present. Do you believe that? That the Lord has a purpose and a plan for everything that right now you are going through at present? Scripture reveals that, but sometimes it's hard to remember that in the moment. And I'll, I'll say this, and this is, this is not some form of breaking news. The past 10 months, the past year, has been an abnormally dark year for many people. But for those of us who trust in Jesus Christ, I hope we're able to see a few steps beyond this particular moment in time. We're actually intended to see beyond any particular moment in time. And I I continue to believe that the Lord has good things in store for us that are far beyond anything we could possibly imagine. And some of those things are alluded to here when you look at Proverbs chapter 19 and you see some of the things that Solomon brings up. So I want to highlight these things for us today. I think it's very timely that we landed on this particular portion of Scripture today with just the theme of what last week happened to look like for our church family. And notice with me, if you would, in the first section here that we're going to look at together, verses 20 through 22, it it reveals to us here that the purpose of the Lord will stand. The purpose of the Lord will stand. So if we're talking about this idea of resting in the purposes of God, we'll notice what it says here in these verses. Let me reread it for us. Verses 20 through 22, it speaks of the fact that the purpose of the Lord will stand. It says, "'Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Many are the plans in the mind of a man.'" But it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. What is desired in a man is steadfast love, and a poor man is better than a liar. Now, let me pause there for just a moment. Um, I enjoy sports, and probably some of you gathered together here, some of you joining us on our live stream, some of, us, some of you joining us via our podcast um, enjoy sports as well. It's one of the common things that, we, that, that many of us tend to enjoy. And I'll, but I have to admit that the only sport that I really follow with true 
consistency is professional football. And even admittedly, this past year, I have followed it less than other years, so I feel a little discombobulated. But historically, the sport that I have followed with the most consistency is professional football. And, and some of you, maybe most of you, know the name Vince Lombardi. Are you familiar with the name Vince Lombardi? Vince Lombardi is a legendary coach of uh, the Green Bay Packers. He also coached the Redskins for a period of time as well. But primarily, he's known as being uh, the coach of the Green Bay Packers. And he's revered as one of the best coaches of all time. And his years coaching the Packers are considered legendary. And you, maybe you know this as well, the Super Bowl trophy that gets handed out at the end of every year, it's named the Lombardi Trophy after Vince Lombardi. Lombardi was a gifted and motivated coach. He was somebody that, that people had a lot of respect for during his days. And he could see where he wanted to take his team. And he was very insistent that the team go there. And he would force them to go there. And many, many players would say that Lombardi would make them do things that they really did not want to do in the moment, whether it be through their conditioning or practice or training or even some of the plays that he'd influence them to run, things that they really didn't want to do in the moment. And they would say that he stretched them in ways that they really didn't want to be stretched. But then when they experienced the many victories that they experienced as a result of his leadership, they grew to respect him and they grew to respect his plan. And I bring that up because when you look at this portion of Scripture that we just read a moment ago, it reveals to us that our Lord provides for you and for me the best coaching we would ever hope to experience, the best coaching we could ever hope to experience. He's even gracious enough to surround us with people who frequently speak, uh, who speak to us in order to convey godly wisdom into our lives. That's a real gift from God. And you have Solomon demonstrating that for us in these verses. And he encourages us to listen to advice and to accept instruction from the wise. And he makes it clear that even though our minds are great at coming up with all sorts of plans and all sorts of ideas and all sorts of strategies, that it's really the Lord's plan and the Lord's purpose that will ultimately stand. That's what Solomon is teaching us here in the opening verses that we're looking at today. So when we're talking about this idea of the Lord's purposes being the thing that stand, and we're talking about the fact that the Lord has these purposes that He's enacting, let me ask this. What are the Lord's purposes? What has He purposed to do? What has He revealed to us that His plan entails? I don't know if you're familiar with this particular psalm, Psalm 138. I want to read something to us from Psalm 138. But in Psalm 138, David, who wrote the psalm down, he reveals something about the purpose of God. Let me read it for us. In Psalm 138, verse 8, it says this, The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. And I think it's interesting when you look, when you look at David's words, he doesn't speak in maybes. He doesn't speak in generalities. He speaks about the fact that very specifically, the Lord will fulfill His purpose for him. That this is a very declarative and definite statement. It's very clear that, that David completely believes that the Lord is going to fulfill His purpose for him, and that the Lord has a purpose for him and for his individual life. The Lord's purpose for David's life involved saving him, the Lord's purpose for David's life involved teaching him and training him. And then later on, the Lord raised David up to a prominent position of leadership. And then ultimately, Scripture tells us that it was through the lineage of David 
that Jesus Christ was sent to this earth through the lineage of David. So the Lord had his purposes for David's life. The Lord fulfilled his purposes for David's life. And with that in mind, so keep that in the back of your mind, let's think about things a little bit broader. And just think about the the purpose that the Lord has for humanity in general. What's the Lord's purpose for humanity overall, or for, for humanity in general? I love what Scripture shows us in 1 Timothy chapter 2. The Apostle Paul wrote these words down, and he said this. He says, this is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So that's what the Scripture says, that the Lord desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So our Heavenly Father desires to see humanity receive the gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's His purpose that we would stop believing the falsehoods that keep many people just completely deluded throughout the course of their lives, and that we would come to the knowledge of the truth of the gospel. That's the Lord's desire for you and for me. That's the Lord's plan and purpose for your life and my life, that we would come to know Him, that we would experience the gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, and that we would come to a knowledge of the truth of the gospel. That's His purpose. That's His plan. That's His desire. And it's helpful for me to think about this, because when I observe the things that are going on around us right now, and and really, when I observe the things that are going on around us, really, at any season of life, and when I compare them with what Scripture reveals about the purposes of God, my heart feels much better. And I'll explain to you why. My heart feels much better when I, when I, when I'm, even when I'm thinking about all the different things that are taking place culturally and societally and, and throughout the course of the world. When I compare those things to what the Word of God actually says, my heart feels better because I am confident in what the Scripture says. I'm confident that the Lord is working all things together toward a redemptive end. Because He says that's His purpose. That's His point. That's His desire. And He's not going to be thwarted. He's bringing all things together toward a redemptive end. He's working in the midst of every circumstance. Think about this. Even in the circumstances that we'd be scratching our heads at and thinking, why is the Lord even allowing that to happen? But He's working in the midst of every circumstance to create the best opportunities for people to hear the gospel to recognize their need for Jesus, and to respond to His gift of salvation. And the purpose of the Lord will stand, just as Solomon says in this, pur- in this portion of Scripture. The Lord will accomplish His purpose. But then Solomon goes on to illustrate something else that I hope will minister to your heart, because it certainly ministers to mine. And that's this, our minds and our hearts will find rest in Jesus. Now, why am I saying that? Well, look with me at verses 23 and 24 about what Solomon says leads to rest. And then I want to show you something else in Scripture as well, because taken together, it illustrates the fact that our minds and our hearts will find rest in Jesus. In verse 23, it says, the fear of the Lord leads to life. And you notice that, by the way, the fear of the Lord, this concept of the fear of the Lord, it comes up in almost every chapter as we're going through the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. We'll get back to that contrast in just a second. So nearly 15, yeah, about 15 years ago, our family was invited to visit a friend's house. And uh, this was a friend, she had just actually uh, had just bought this, this condo 
And she was all excited to show it to us. And we were certainly excited to go and to see it. And uh, she had just moved in. She had just set up her furniture. She wanted us to see the place. It was her first home. And so our kids were, were very young at the time. But my wife and I thought, no, let's go. It was a couple hours away. We thought, let's go and let's see her new place. And we made plans to visit. But the day before our scheduled visit, my grandmother passed away. And my grandmother was somebody that we were all very close to. I was was extremely close to my grandmother all throughout the course of my life. So her passing was an emotionally heavy moment for us, as I think anyone would understand. And so in the midst of our grief, we actually were thinking about in the moment, we thought maybe we should cancel the visit. We were just going to visit and hang out and see some, you know, friend's new home, but, but maybe we should cancel the visit and just stay home because we were feeling a lot of grief and a lot of sorrow and a lot of pain in that moment. But ultimately, we ended up deciding not to call it off because we thought, you know, maybe a nice drive would be good for us. Maybe some friend, you know, fellowship and, and, and hangout time with, with some friends would be helpful to us. We thought, no, let's do it. We didn't cancel the visit. So the next day, we actually made the drive. We drove a couple hours to visit my friend's condo. And after receiving the tour, I happened to notice that she had an abnormally large chair in her living room. And I had only seen one of these things. It was a unique style. Uh, To my knowledge, I had only ever seen one of these things one other time, but it was like a store display. So I really didn't get to use the chair. It was just something I had seen. But I saw this now in one corner of her living room, and I thought to myself, I want to try that thing out. And I actually made the mistake of sitting down on it. So I sat down on this large chair, And literally, within a few minutes, I fell asleep. I was out cold. It was like it was magic. I was just like snap of a finger, and I was out. And I have to tell you, it was one of the best sleeps that I had had in a long time, and everybody graciously just allowed me to rest. Nobody woke me up. Nobody woke me up, and I just, I just sat there and rested. I think, uh, you know, on top of the fact that life was busy for us, but I was also emotionally exhausted, I just sat there, and I think everybody kind of recognized that, you know what, the best thing we could do for John today is if he's tired, just let him sleep. And so you know when they woke me? When it was time to leave. So we literally drove hours to go visit and spend a day with this friend. I, set, I got the tour, sat on the chair, and was out cold the entire time until right before we left. But I, I was like, well, thanks for, you know, like it was an awkward, I didn't know what to say at the end of the visit. I was like, thanks for buying that chair and let me use it. You know, it's like, I was exhausted. But you know what? The, the cool thing was, It allowed me to regain some strength at a time that I needed it. I needed to rest. I needed to regain some strength. And I left feeling a bit rejuvenated. Now, rest is something the Lord knows we need. He knows you need rest. He knows I need rest. We're actually designed by Him to require it. But there's a deeper form of rest than a good nap on a chair. There's a deeper form of rest than that. And Solomon speaks of rest here in this passage And as he does elsewhere in the book of Proverbs, he reminds us also of the virtue of living in the fear of the Lord. But basically what he's saying here is this. He tells us that if we genuinely revere the Lord, if we genuinely fear the Lord, we will rest satisfied. We will rest satisfied. And what he's getting at here when he says that is this. Our consciences won't weigh us down because we'll be living in the midst of a healthy relationship with our Creator. We will have peace. We will have rest for our souls. Our conscience won't weigh us down. We will experience the rest that our minds and our hearts truly need through a relationship with Him. Now, that stands in great contrast 
to the pattern of living that's displayed by the sluggard here in this passage. When you look at verse 24, it says, The sluggard, he buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. What's Solomon getting at with that? He's picturing, it's almost comical, saying somebody that's so lazy that they would put their hand in the dish to take some food out of it, and they're like, "Uh, I'm halfway there. I'm just going to stay here. I don't have enough energy to bring it back to my face. That's what Solomon is getting at. He's saying it's like the epitome of laziness. You would put your hand in the dish, but not even bring the food back up to your mouth. That's not rest, right? That's laziness. And Solomon is contrasting that with the kind of ultimate rest that our souls experience through the Lord. Our bodies need rest, and I know that that's not something that any of us would argue with, but our minds and our hearts need deep rest as well. And most people struggle to find that rest, even though that's something that's right in front of all of us. It's right in front of all of us, and most people spend their lives struggling to find that rest. In fact, they try to find that rest, that peace for their mind, that peace for their soul, that rest for their heart. They try and find it. Most of us have even done this as well, where we've tried to find rest for our souls through things that are earthly and can't supply that rest. There's only one way to ultimately find the rest that our minds and our hearts and our souls ultimately need. We have been designed by Jesus to find that rest through Jesus but we'll never find that rest if we spend our lives running from Him. So if your life is spent running from the Lord and just trying to run to everything else to to give you that rest, you'll actually never find that rest. Your mind and your heart will never be at peace. Your conscience will never be at peace. Your soul will never be at peace if you keep running from Jesus. But if we run toward Jesus, we will find the rest that our hearts crave and our minds need. And we find that rest when we draw near His throne of grace. And I want to bring up a portion of Scripture from Hebrews chapter 4. I'm going to bring it up on the screen behind me here, but I want to make a comment on it before I read it for us. If you've never read the book of Hebrews, I'd encourage you to read it. But if you're going to start somewhere and you just want to read a small section of it, read chapter 4. I still remember the first time I read chapter 4 of the book of Hebrews. It confused me. Because when you read the early verses of Hebrews chapter 4, it uses this phrase where it talks about entering into the rest of God. And I was like, what does that mean? Like, if you told me to go take a rest, I would understand what that means. But it says, enter into the rest of God. What does that mean, to enter into the rest of God? I still remember the first time I read it, scratching my head, thinking, I have no idea what that's talking about. And you know, part of the reason why I had such a hard time figuring that one out is because I have a pattern of doing the exact opposite. The Scripture was telling me to do something that's the total opposite of how I tend to, naturally speaking, live my life. I don't rest very well. I'm always doing something. And when I'm not doing something, I try and find something to fill in my something. And some of you are just like that. I'm the last one to go to bed in our house every night. And it's not because I want to be the last one to go to bed in our house every night. It's because I sit there and my mind just thinks up the weirdest stuff. And I just find myself thinking, well, you know what? I know what I need to do. I know this will help me fall asleep. This will help me rest. I just need to read something. And then I become consumed with what I'm reading instead of letting my mind settle down. And I have a bad habit of not giving myself the rest that I need. And you know what? You know what it really comes down to? It comes to over-relying on your own ability or strength. If you become over-reliant on yourself, you will struggle to rest. And it's a character defect that I really wrestle with. When you read Hebrews chapter 4, 
it talks about the fact that it, it, it gives you like a history lesson of the people of ancient Israel, how they did not enter into God's rest. And what it's talking about was the fact that they over-relied on themselves, they over-relied on worldly wisdom, they over-relied on earthly things to try and bring their hearts to a place of peace. But the Scripture says those things can't bring your heart to a place of peace. You can only enter into that place of peace or enter into the rest through faith in Jesus Christ. We enter into God's rest. We experience His peace. We experience rest for our mind and our soul and our heart through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So the early portion of Hebrews chapter 4 sets that up. But then it gives us some very specific directions when you get to Hebrews 4, verse 16. And it tells you if you want to obtain that rest, if you want it, here's how you get it. You get it through prayer. And it says in Hebrews 4, 16, it says... Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What's it encouraging us to recognize? That God desires that we be close to Him and that God offers us His help and His grace. And He helps us in our time of need. He helps us in our season of need. He helps us in our moments of need. And he says, come near to me. He invites us to come near to him. And so in the book of Hebrews, you have the writer of Hebrews telling us, with confidence, let us draw near to him. We draw near to the throne of grace so that we receive the mercy and grace that we need to help us in our time of need. That's how the rest of God is entered into. So we trust in Jesus Christ and we come before him in prayer. And he invites us to do that. Our minds and our hearts will find rest in Jesus. So I'll tell you what, if you've been wrestling with anxiety, anxious thoughts, trying to do too much in your own strength, there's the solution for us. I do the same exact thing, and I need to be reminded of this very thing frequently, daily. Something else that this scripture from Proverbs 19 brings up that I want to point out to us as we talk about the idea of resting in the purposes of God is this idea of chasing foolishness and ignorance away. Now, why would I say it this way? Look at how it phrases it in verse 25 and following. It says, Strike a scoffer, and the simple will learn prudence. Reprove a man of understanding, and he will gain knowledge. He who does violence to his father and chases away his mother is a son who brings shame and reproach. Cease to hear instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. So think about these verses for just a second here. Some people embrace the wisdom of God, and some people don't, right? That's what these verses are ultimately telling us. Some people embrace the wisdom of God, and some people don't. Some people, they accept the gift of goodness the Father offers us through His Son, Jesus Christ, but many people push that gift far away from their thinking. And Solomon here, he gives us a picture of what it looks like in this particular passage when people do that. He shows us that that some people learn from correction while others run from it, and while others push people out of their life who are offering wisdom to them. They actually look at those people and they push them out of their life. They say, I don't want the wisdom of God that you're trying to speak into my life. They're trying to push them away. But it's better to chase foolishness away. It's better to chase ignorance away than than to chase those who are lovingly offering us wisdom. Now, have you ever been involved in a chase of any kind? Whether you're the one being chased or you're the one doing the chasing, 
involved. Some of you have very sheepish looks on your face. <laughs> um, years ago, at our former home, when we lived up in northeast Pennsylvania, uh, our home backed up to the woods. It was kind of uh, on a big hill, and it, and it backed up to the woods. And we had a bear that kept wandering into our yard, and it kept ripping through our trash, and it was getting very irritating to me, I, because I'd find myself, I, I could figure out where the bear, bear went by where our trash was dragged all through our yard, and then through our neighbor's yard, and then into the woods, and I felt responsible to take care of all of it, right? So I would clean it all up, and then I'd be like, all right, I hope that that's the last time it happens. And then the bear would come, and it would do it again. And it kept happening, it kept happening, and kept happening to the point where I would seethe with anger toward this bear. And I remember one particular evening, our kids were all very little, and we were all in our minivan, and we're pulling up to the house, and as I'm pulling up to the house, I see the bear in action. And he's dragging the trash away from the house and into the woods. And I parked the van in our driveway. I got out of the van, and Andrea looks at me, and she goes, what are you doing? And I didn't say a word. I closed the door. I grabbed a broom that was leaning up against the garage, and I ran after the bear with the broom. And she's like, what are you doing? And it was one of those moments, you ever have a moment where you're not really thinking a whole ton about it? You're just saying, enough. I'm at the boiling point. I literally ran after, like, what is the broom going to do, right? But I ran after that bear with that broom, and I was so angry, and I was yelling at the thing. And I think the bear was probably like, this is unusual behavior. I'm not going to run because I'm afraid of the bear, or because I'm afraid of the the broom. I'm going to run because that man seems unstable. And, uh, but I chased the bear. I ran after the bear, and then the bear let the trash go, and it kept running, and I ran a little bit past the trash to make sure that I made my point clear. Mind you, my wife is in the car with our four very little children praying for the safety of her husband who is outside the car chasing a bear. I only did that one time, okay? It is not on, I've got it out of my system now. I don't plan on doing that again. But he never came back. He never came back. That was it. That was the last time we did not deal with the bear after that. So there was a silver lining to that experience. But I'll say this, because Solomon here uses the word chase, and he describes someone who's basically chasing people out of their life who try to offer them wisdom. Well, if we're going to chase something out of our life, let's not chase the people that offer us godly counsel. Let's not chase the people who try to offer us godly wisdom. Let's chase ignorance. Let's chase foolishness. Let's chase those things away. Let's grab the broom and chase those things away, right? You don't have to grab the broom, but still chase them out of your life and receive the wisdom of God as he speaks it to us through his word and through his people. And you have Solomon encouraging us to have a mindset and a heart that chases foolishness and ignorance away while welcoming the wisdom of God as he gives it to us. And there's one other thing that he brings up in this portion of Scripture that I want to finish with today as we rest in the purposes of God, and that's this. Know that the day of real justice is coming. Now, why would I say that? Well, really, it's not me saying that. It's revealed here in this portion of Scripture and several others. But look at what it says as Solomon wraps this all up here. When you look at verses 28 and 29, he says it this way. He says, A worthless witness mocks at justice, and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. And then he says, Condemnation is ready for scoffers and beating for the backs of fools. Now think about these verses. I'm going to show us one other verse in just a second. But Solomon is talking about the fact that justice is coming, but many people mock justice. 
Many people scoff at it. And in the final two verses here, he speaks of those who actively mock justice. And he tells us that that if a person decides to dedicate their life to mocking justice, there are two things that await them in their scoffing. There are two things that await them. Condemnation and a beating. That's what awaits those who mock justice. Condemnation and a beating. Neither of which sound pleasant. Even if it's not a physical beating, let's say it's just an emotional beating or a, a relational beating or, or, or even deeper level, a spiritual beating, none of that sounds pleasant. But Solomon says condemnation and a beating, that's what waits. That's what awaits those who mock justice, those who scoff at justice. What do you think about true justice, by the way? Do you ever feel like it's missing in this world? I'm not going to lie, I feel that way sometimes. You know, when I, when I look around, it, there's, and I could give you all sorts of examples. I could give you modern-day examples. I could give you examples from previous eras of, of history. You look at some of the things that have taken place, and I think to myself, is there true justice in this world? Because it doesn't always feel like there is. And when we think about the areas where it feels like it's past due for justice to be served, do you ever grow impatient about it? Do you ever say, hey, how about this? Just put a few things under my charge. I'll enact some justice. Do you ever feel like enacting some justice, you think, or setting some things right that you feel are being done wrong? I think we all probably do. We feel very impatient about the fact that it seems like justice takes a while to show up. And you know what happens when you think about stuff like that for a long time? If you feel like, this, like, like justice is never going to come, you know what you end up feeling? You feel hopeless. You will feel hopeless if you feel like you will never see justice. If in your heart you are convinced that this world and you yourself will never see justice, that will lead to a very hopeless state for your heart. So if you're feeling hopeless, can I say something that I hope will be helpful to you? Because it's certainly helpful to me. Don't let that emotion take root in your heart any longer. Don't let it take root in your heart any longer because the day of real justice is coming. But I don't believe it's going to be ultimately administered by you or me. And I don't believe that it's ultimately going to be administered by, by uh, human leaders or, or people like that. It's going to be administered by Jesus himself. And because I believe that the word of God is true, I also believe everything he said about what he's going to do. It's interesting, this past week I was leading a, an online Bible study on, on Tuesday night, and we've been working our way through the, the book of James. Some of you were part of it, and there are people from other parts of the country that join us on that Bible study. And uh, we're in the, the middle section of James chapter 5. And you know what the middle section of James chapter 5 is all about? It's all about remaining patient in the midst of suffering. James wrote that portion of Scripture under the Holy Spirit's inspiration to a group of early Christians that were dealing with great suffering in the midst of their generation. He was encouraging them to remain patient. Patient for what? Patient for what? What was he trying to encourage them to remain patient about? He's trying to encourage them to remain patient about the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ was ultimately going to right every wrong and bring true justice. And let me show you a couple of the verses that we focused on the other night. It says this in James chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, it says, you also, and by the way, as I read this, don't think about this just as 
to the people that, that James originally wrote this to. And don't think about this in relation to somebody else. Let's take this very personally, okay? This is written for you. This is written for me. So take this to mind, take this to heart, consider this as being directly spoken to you. And it says this in James 5, 8 through 9, it says, You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So think about some of the things that James was trying to encourage the believers to understand, and likewise, we're being encouraged to understand. He's saying, look, be patient. Well, I got to tell you, I don't always feel like being patient. I don't think I excel at it. I'm glad I'm friends with some of you because some of you do excel at it. Please have that rub off on my personality because I would like to display more of this, right? But James is saying, look, be patient. Whether I feel like it or not, he's saying, John, be patient. He's saying to you, be patient. Be patient. By the way, he was saying this to people who were in pretty severe forms of suffering at the time. He says, be patient. And he says, establish your hearts. Kind of like firm up your heart. Like take heart. Take heart. Why? Why should I take heart? Because the coming of the Lord is at hand. You realize that every day you live is another day closer to the day that Jesus returns. The coming of the Lord is at hand. He's going to come at the exact perfect time. He's being patient right now because he wants as many people as will to trust in him. But then a day is going to come and his return is very imminent. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. He says, don't grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. What does that have to do with anything? Doesn't that seem out of place? Why are we talking about grumbling? We're talking about being patient and we're talking about the coming of the Lord and then you're talking about grumbling. Well, what are we doing when we're grumbling? We're losing patience with each other, right? So when I'm losing patience with people, I grumble against the people that I lose patience with. And what am I also doing when I'm grumbling against other people? I'm judging them. If I grumble against you, that means I'm judging you about something. I'm judging something about your life that I'm saying it's not as good as something that's in my life. And if you grumble against me, you're saying, hey, there's something in my life that's better than what you have in your life. And don't we do that to each other from time to time? We grumble against each other, and it's a form of judgment, and it's a form of impatience. And so that's why James brings that up there. He says, listen, be patient. The coming of the Lord is at hand. Don't grumble against one another. And he reminds us also, behold, the judge, capital J, behold, the judge is standing at the door, saying the Lord Jesus Christ is coming. He's standing at the door. We're just waiting for him to grab the knob and open it up. He's standing at the door. The day is coming. The day of real justice is coming. So let me say this as we wrap this all up. Every day we live is another day that we are closer to the return of Jesus Christ. We are closer today than we were yesterday. We'll be closer tomorrow if he doesn't return today. And the purposes of God for creation, the purposes of God for history, the purposes of God for humanity will be brought to fruition. That's not a maybe. That's a definite. And by His grace, think about the privilege that we have right now. By His grace, we've been given the privilege to rest confidently in Him while we watch His perfect and yet sometimes mysterious will and sometimes mysterious plan while we watch it all unfold. We have the privilege right now as an expression of genuine faith, as an expression of genuine trust, to rest confidently in Him. 
to thank Him for His patience with us and for us to express some patience in return and say, you know what? I'm confident that you're going to do what you said you're going to do, that you're going to right every wrong, that you're going to restore your creation, that you're going to save the lost, and that the day of real justice is coming. That is a comforting thing to think about. We can rest in the purpose of God because every single thing that He's revealed to us in His Word is one day going to come to fruition. And you and I are going to get to see it with our own eyes. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for Your Word. And thank You for the things that You reveal to us in it. Lord, it's so helpful to be able to look at something like this and to realize that these aren't ambiguous things that you're speaking about. These are very specific, very clear things that you're revealing to us in your word. And Lord, you, you show us that we can find ultimate rest in you. You show us that, that you have a purpose and a plan that you're enacting. You show us that ultimately you will restore justice. You will bring justice to this world. And that justice is ultimately going to be experienced through your power as you rule and you reign. So thank you, Lord, for your promises, and thank you for the fact that you always deliver on what you promise. Lord, your timetable is a mystery to me. It's a mystery to all of us, but as an expression of my trust in you and as an expression of our collective trust in you, Lord, we want to thank you for operating in your perfect timing. So Lord, whatever we wrestle with during this season of life or whatever comes next, we pray that we would trust in you completely and rest in the fact that your plan and your purpose is perfect. And we can be grateful for that today. We're grateful to be reminded of this from your word, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.